And there certainly will be times that we're cooperating with even higher levels of law enforcement uh, when you talk about events of this size. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a major tactical event and, and uh, is strategically planned every time. Welcome to another episode of the GovGab Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco. Thanks again for being a part of this episode and excited to introduce our guest for today, Mayor Jim Lane with the city of Scottsdale, Arizona. Mayor Lane is in his third term as the mayor of Scottsdale, and prior to that, he was actually in the city council for one term uh, prior to running for mayor. So he's got a lot of rich insight and experience on you know, the city as a whole, things that they're dealing with both as challenges coming up in the future but also a lot of the positives that are going on there and things that they've done you know, over the last 10 years since he's been um, the mayor um, to improve the city, to improve the communication, um, and, and just make it an overall better place, not only for the citizens, but also businesses as well as tourists that come in um, throughout the year. So excited for you guys to listen to this wide-ranging conversation with Mayor Lane. So without further ado, let's jump into our chat today with Mayor Jim Lane. Mayor Lane, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining this evening. I'm glad to be with you. Well, so I wanted to start off. So, you know, obviously one of the things that, you know, we're doing here with GovGab is we talk to a lot of mayors and, and city managers across the country. And I'm always intrigued, especially from a, a mayor standpoint, um, is, you know, how this all started for you. And I don't know if it started, you know, some folks have said, hey, when I was a kid, I kind of got involved. Others, it was later in life. Can we start there? When did the idea of getting involved in local government, um, when was that something that the inception in your mind, when did that happen? Well, it wasn't something from early child, childhood or even school, uh, my school years, uh, one way or the other through college. Uh, my intent was always to be involved in business. And uh, I got my degree in accounting and finance and went to work for a CPA firm. So I was business oriented uh, really from the get go. And I've worked for a number of companies uh, in a financial capacity and in an executive officer position, uh, president, and then my own companies. And um, so I've worked in, and uh, owned and operated uh, to different extents, but nevertheless in aviation, and construction, uh, electronics. Um, my uh, last two companies actually were technology companies and ISP in their early years and also network integration company. Uh, I've done other things, but uh, uh, most of them were on, on sidelines while I was doing some primary businesses. So my background is business and uh, how I got engaged into it ultimately was just from the standpoint that I, um, I was uh, doing some volunteer work uh, for the YMCA, and, and someone came to me and asked me to consider uh, being on a task force for the then mayor of Scottsdale on fire and EMS. And it was about a nine-month project, and I made a presentation to the council, and it went over well, and uh, everything was copacetic. Uh, but um, <clears throat> you know, that was, it was, got the desired results of what they wanted, and, and they went from there. Uh, but for me. Uh, 
was sort of an introduction into an area of things in that particular area of city government, and that being public safety and, of course, fire and EMS, um, that got me interested as to how those kinds of services were actually uh, provided and, uh, and how, what the mechanisms were in controlling uh, that from an elected position from, for the constituents and making sure that they were quality and efficient. Uh, and in fact, the, the nature of that entire uh, task force was really to determine a quality of service relative to cost. So it was right up my alley as far as that kind of thing went. But anyway, uh, long story short, I was presented to the council and the council decided to take an action that ran against our recommendations, but nevertheless, they put something on the ballot that was related to it. And uh, people started to ask me to uh, run a campaign uh, to retain our current situation as it was. And so I did do that. We were successful in winning that campaign. Uh, uh, it was a, you know, it was really a, a David and Goliath kind of thing because we had very limited resources and we were up against uh, some big out-of-state money, actually, to the tune of $5 million against about a $35,000 budget we had ourselves. But we had the, the general population on our side, so we won that. And, and that led to the idea of people asking me to run for council. Uh, I had just sold a couple of, uh, albeit small, uh, technology companies to a Canadian outfit. I was in a, under contract to uh, work out a, a year or two on that. And so I uh, decided, yeah, what the heck, I'll uh, go ahead and run for council, um, and then I'll get, you know, do one term. I told my wife, in fact, exactly that, and then get back into business. Um, but when one turn on council, I was motivated by virtue of what I thought needed to be done and what I thought I could do if I were to run for mayor. So I did. I ran against an incumbent mayor who would, uh, we, she was well-liked and, and that. Uh, there were other situations that I drew, I think, uh, positive comparisons against her record and, and her background. But nevertheless, I, I won it. It was a very, very tight race, but uh, I did win it, and the next thing I knew, I was mayor. And I've uh, subsequently have won two other terms, and I'm term limited to three mayors, so I'm now on my third term about halfway through. You know, something we haven't talked about too much on the podcast, but I'm actually curious now that you bring it up is, you know, how does the, like, how do you prepare for an election? Um, it, obviously, it's not like a presidential election. We know all the jazz that goes on with that, right? But what what are some of the different things that you had to do to prepare for it? Were there different debates set up? Like, how did you guys do it there in Scottsdale? Well, you, you know, coming right out of the box, probably a good thing to do uh, was to have been on the task force. So I had some idea of a major issue and, frankly, how governance uh, applied to those kinds of services and, uh, and constituent concerns in those areas. So that was helpful. Then being on council before being on uh, running for mayor uh, was also helpful because it was more instructive of the other areas that I had real interest in. and and probably had some just general business background in uh, that I felt that um, would apply well running for mayor. Uh, and budgets are a big part of any, uh, any local government element. And so, you know, I felt very comfortable in that arena as far as the kind of questions to ask and, and uh, 
the analysis of some of that. So that was a big part of that, along with some other functional business kind of things. You know, city government is is only is it's a municipal corporation. Uh, it may be fun accounting, but the only real difference is that, that the discipline in private sector is the bottom line. The discipline in the municipal sec corporation is essentially your elected body. Um, they have to be watching out for efficiencies. They have to be watching out for um, effectiveness and quality of service on those things. And there's a, a bit of a difference in structure. Now, as I came into the office, I, I made some pretty big changes. Uh, now, with the, the public voting on it, but submitted uh, reforms to our charter to accomplish some of the things I felt were necessary. Was there anything you were nervous about leading in? And, and you can even talk on, you know, going to council the first time or when you were running for mayor. Um, anything you were nervous about that was kind of debunked later on? You're like, I don't even know why I worried about that. Or maybe it was confirmed. I don't know. You can take it however you want. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I, I don't know that maybe a lot of people would make the same statement. Uh, Having been in business and being in leadership positions in businesses, um, uh, I felt pretty comfortable about a presence. But I will tell you, what I really wasn't probably ready for is the extent of public speaking uh, that I would need to engage in. Uh, impromptu, as well as organized and structured and, and scripted kind of thing. Um, uh, so, and you know, I can talk like anybody else, uh, but to talk intelligently about things, uh, one of the first things I found was absolutely necessary is to gather as much information as I possibly could about all areas. And in a very real sense, I probably took on, particularly as mayor, took on um, uh, a major effort to educate myself to the fullest extent I could. Uh, in everything, so that I had a working knowledge of it. Doesn't mean I had an answer for everything that ever was asked of me. Of course, anytime you go to speak, there's Q and A sessions, and you can always say, "I that's not something I have." You know, I know exactly directly, and I, I maybe can get back to you, or we can talk later. Um, but you want to make sure that people know you're engaged, and so uh, being engaged means you're going to know sort of at least a 30,000 foot uh, view of things. And so that's that was an important thing for me. And I, I suppose, was I nervous about it? Yes, to some degree, and it may have all revolved in part uh, being um, public speaking. But it, it's, it comes with the territory. I don't mean to say that I've never given it a thought since, but at the same time, that, that was probably one thing. I was nervous. Running a campaign, um, one of the things I probably found out is that in running the campaign, uh, it was less about what you knew about the, you know, the engaged topics, even though you needed to have a, an idea where you were going. Uh, but what I found personally, and, and I, I hope this continues to answer this question, what I found personally is to have a philosophy of governance and principles uh, that would guide you, that you could express in a campaign. Um, and that people could count on you to operate within those guidelines, uh, within those principles and within that governance 
um, philosophy. Um, because issue to issue, even though I'm a fairly opinionated kind of guy and I come from a specific direction, um, there's always areas that um, can be gray or certainly that there are other considerations for something. I don't mean to say you change the law, but there are some subjective decisions that are made and some massaging of things. Again, all within what people would expect, not only from the uh, the governance philosophy, but also the principles, but also the circumstances of, uh, of a particular decision. You don't want to say, hey, this is where it's at for me no matter what the hell's going on, you know. Thousands of people will die if I stick to my principles. <laughs> I'm exaggerating to make the point, but uh, so you just uh, you, you know you you've got to have some leeway, but you also have to have some consistency. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, and I have to go back. I want to pull the onion layer back one more. Did you take any like public speaking classes, like Toastmasters or anything like that, to prepare, or was it just more that getting comfortable with the knowledge and, and research? Uh, you know, actually, probably way back when, and I'm talking about early in my business career, I took not a Toastmasters, but it was something similar to that. Um, and I may have relied a little bit about on that, uh, but um, it's hard to say. It was a long time ago, a long time ago, decades ago, decades before I got into public office. But I also had occasions in my capacity as president of the airline and uh, other things where, you know, I was called upon to talk about a subject that I knew very well, <laughs> you know. And it was a little different than government where you, you know, if you know the airline business, you're, you're in a pretty good position. to talk. You're going to know a good bit about every aspect about that business. Um, and, and frankly, most people aren't looking for you to talk about every aspect of the business. Um, they, they do want sort of a, a wider scope of things, particularly if you're planning some new change, you know, you're in touch with those things. So it, it was helpful, and maybe part of that was that getting to know the topics, and, and city government is pretty diverse in the, in the range of things it does. So getting to know all the different things, it's like a lot of different companies actually wrapped up into one, all consumer-related um, kind of operations. For the Well, absolutely. So I don't know if that answers that question, but yes, I had some, but it... it uh, I think it's more a matter of just living life. Well, and I, and I think and you like, talked about, it, you know, a lot of those experiences you had, you know, being in companies, having your companies, um, you know, understanding leadership and those type of things. And, and I'm actually always curious to that relationship that, especially that you have with like a city manager, um, you know, how does that work? How, how is that dynamic there? Um, can you talk about just a little bit of the relationship you guys have and, you know, how you go about, you know, kind of structuring things, decision-making process, and, and how that all works? Well, obviously, the city manager is our chief administrative officer. Uh, and I probably ought to throw in at this point in time, part of the reforms that uh, I initiated but got the council to agree to, we got it on the ballot, and then they uh, over, overwhelmingly they, they passed. And changing our charter and amending our charter is like changing the Constitution. So I had to put together a task force to do it first. 
uh, with some ideas that I planted, and then they came back with things that we agreed upon, put them on the ballot, and they won. And one of the it was in an effort to increase transparency, accountability, control by the electeds, uh, and this means taking it a bit away from uh, the bureaucracy, even the even the you know the uh, city management, and and also investing or making those principally five charter officers, our executive team, uh, become answerable to myself and the council, first and foremost, which means answerable to the public, uh, rather than just answerable to the city manager, uh, which is the way it had been exercised and actually handled in the past. So the city manager, the city treasurer, the city auditor, the city uh, attorney, and the city clerk are all hired, fired, evaluated, and compensated by the city council. Now that's somewhat unique. So my relationship has been through the entire time I've been in the position, we've, we've operated under those rules. Previously, no. Uh, so it was a trial. It's now being studied actually at ASU and other universities across the country on their MPA programs, just simply because everybody wonders how it'll work. I won't get into the history of the struggles we had in trying to get that um, Past, but also then getting it implemented by a status quo bureaucracy that really did not want it to happen. So it was it was it was a pretty big change. But Has anyhow, that's been successful. I I think it's been exceedingly successful. But as I tell my fellow council members, and I sit, you know, obviously as as mayor in a little bit different position than they individually do, even though I need their support to make any changes, and we have made changes. Uh, on, their, on our uh, charter officer's position on the basis of their inability to deal with the structure. So it's, it's been interesting um, and dramatic. And of course it was reported as disruptive, uh, but nevertheless by papers and, and news outlets. But it has it's served me well, and I think it's served the city well, in that we have real accountability and we get information from each of the, the skill sets that we previously did not, uh, that was restricted or held uh, by the city managers as whatever he or she might feel we deserve to know. And I, I don't mean to make it sound too conspiratorial, uh, but in some instances they were sort of protecting us politically, or so they would say. And I used to tell them, you know, we can make a mistake every day of the week with all of the, all the information we need. But we don't have a prayer if we don't have it. And, and so, because I, at a point in time, I asked the city manager, who obviously is not with us any longer, but nevertheless, as to why I couldn't get this information. She said, well, if you have that information, the public will see that, will have access to that information. And I said, well, why is that a problem? She never did answer that. And of course, that's, uh, there were some changes that were made. But in any case, uh, that's the kind of thing that I think is really important to, when you elect people, is to have them know our system, and and then for them to be able to have the wherewithal to exercise their authority in that system judiciously, and you know doing it right, but no, you know just knowing 
that this is your responsibility. We have no more do we have an excuse that we didn't have that information. We have the information. It makes us more accountable too. I mean the whole council. So obviously you've you've done a lot of good changes there, it seems, and, and have obviously been, you know, shuffling things up a little bit in your time there. Is there one or two, maybe it's one you've already said that you've been the most proud of? I, I will tell you the most dramatic and probably the most meaningful is that uh, that I've just mentioned to you, getting those amendments to our charter. And uh, and I think it's been impactful. It's allowed, I might also mention one of the other things we had within those changes is that we don't pay subsidies uh, to any individual or business. Uh, it's, we consider it patently unfair. We provide a very good place for people to do business. Uh, we just don't need to pay people to come here. I think it's patently unfair to our existing businesses to subsidize possibly their competition. And the other is the fact that it creates a potential. I'm not saying it, it happens in all cases, but it, it creates a potential to be seen as a corruptive force when the council, even as a body, you know, has the wherewithal to give somebody millions of dollars uh, to bring their business here. So it's... Uh, that was another one that we had in there, but that's all part of what I, I was just talking about. But there's a couple of other things that we've been able to accomplish that I think are very meaningful too. And, and really there's the rebuilding of our economic engine and how we went about doing it with the economic development that we instituted right here. Business connections and bringing the business community on board when we were in the deepest, darkest days of the Great Recession to help us and help our communities. Operation Fix It was to help people stay in their homes and help them avoid being cited for code violations and helping them maintain their homes. A lot of times the elderly and people who were financially or physically unable to maintain their homes uh, didn't seem right to be citing them you know, for lots of money. So we ended up, as a community, neighbors helping neighbors under a program that I it was in existence but minor and renamed Operation Fix It and, and worked to get it funded in, uh, independent of the city uh, to keep people in their homes. And it's been very successful and it's really did a nice job at the time of keeping neighborhoods from going. Uh, and this is only in the sense that it sometimes is used going south. You know, it's, uh, if you've ever heard of the broken window effect, once a neighborhood starts to go bad and, you know, it's a little sleazy, maybe taggers or you know broken windows, and that uh, suddenly valuations you know drop off like a rock, and, and the community, the neighborhood goes bad. It's always been my contention: better to save it before it gets there than it is to try to recover it later. Yeah, and, and you know it's always interesting too. I mean, one, those are some great initiatives. I'm glad you were able to, you know, kind of get those going and, and move forward with them. One of the things I also want to talk about was, you know, um, and I had done some research prior looking at the different priorities of the city. How do you all come up with those as a group kind of looking very futuristic, right? And forward thinking many years. Um, how do you guys decide on what are going to be the main priorities going forward? Is that, is that collective with the, the citizens involvement? How, how do you guys go about that? Well, an awful lot of times, obviously, we have master plans. Uh, we have a lot of master plans that, that we end up paying a good bit for, and then uh, they get shelved, oftentimes because they're not fundable, because they're too dependent upon government expenditures and taxpayer funding. Uh, and that's a careful area. 
the, the plan that we implemented many years ago now. Um, if you don't know, I've been in the office for, I'm in my 11th year in the office now. Uh, but many years ago, the idea was, hey, we wanted to rebuild our economic engine. We wanted to have a measure of control as to what happened, but at the same time, I wanted a free market response to this. Uh, if we start dictating what it is we want, that means the taxpayers are going to have to pay for it or we're going to have to subsidize somebody. And when you manipulate the market that way, sometimes it becomes uh, damaging. Um, you just never can quite tell exactly what the end result is going to be. Now, some people would say, well, just the, if you just let the market, what if they overbuild? Well, I'd much rather overbuild and have it on the, uh, the financial head of the, uh, the private company that's investing. We still have you know, zoning laws and we have building codes. And we have things that we can make sure that we have an acceptable project and we have acceptable uh, folks to be able to do it. They've got to be able to do it, I suppose, but you've got to buy the land first and you've got to get uh, the zoning in line with whatever it is you're looking to do. But nevertheless, so we have some control mechanisms just don't want it to be too overreaching where we end up getting too involved and uh, we're putting other people's money at risk for things we want to do. And most people recognize that when that happens, if you're going to tell them what to build, uh, they're going to want you to be part of the risk. Uh, and that means taxpayers. And so if the thing doesn't go uh, and it ends up being vacant property or something and, and Thankfully, we haven't really had this up but with one case, but we, we did not give any um, subsidy in any case. Um, it's, uh, it's on the head of, uh, of the investors, not taxpayers. Uh, but we don't want to see that happen. We want to see people succeed. But we also feel that sometimes, I do, uh, that in giving subsidies away, if somebody needs help from the city, does that not an indication, maybe they don't think they can make it otherwise. And, um, you know, that's not that's not the kind of investment we're looking for, really. I don't mean that that's in every case, but it's, it could be seen that way. It, because your, your question was, it, did we master plan? We do master plan things, and oftentimes if they're government related, it's a funding issue. It doesn't mean that, you know, when we talk about streetscapes and, and other things that are city issues, we find a way eventually to follow through on it. So we have master plans for different areas of the town. We have our general plan. You probably, maybe you're familiar, maybe not. Maybe I should probably at least mention that in the context of that question. A master, or our general plan is just that. It's a general plan of land usage with that throughout our city. And it's part of a state statute. It's called Growing Smarter. And it's been in place for a couple of decades or more now. And every 10 years, you need to uh, revamp it, rethink it, and send it back to the public to vote on. As you're probably well aware, there are constitutional rights to development of your own land. Even though there's zoning restrictions on certain things, and, there's, uh, uh, and we have the power of eminent domain, even though we try very hard not to use that, except for an absolute public purpose, something the public needs on the overall. Um, but in any case, um, we would, um, oh, shoot, I just lost that a little bit, but nevertheless, with just talking about planning, um, the general plan is land usage, 
and it's difficult, but it has to be possible to be able to change the use of the land. Um, law requires that we have an avenue for change, otherwise we'd still be farmland all around here. Um, and, and so we do, but it's very judicious and it takes a while. There's a commitment on the part of a, a property owner to change the land's use, but we, there is an avenue for it and it, it does happen. The underlying zoning also has to be changed at the same time, but that's another control factor in the master planning of things. So a lot of planning has gone into uh, the land use and the, the kind of use even under underlying zoning, specifically whether it's commercial or residential or, or retail versus commercial office and th those kinds of things. So that's, that's the general overall view. And if you let the market within those zoning requirements find their way uh, the town will grow as we've found it has in the way that you sort of want it to uh, because they're going to see the value or not and if in fact there's some change that has to take place and we recognize it as, as time evolves then we might just allow for that general plan amendment and we'll allow for a zoning change uh, to sort of maybe change it uh, just slightly not hugely you know we're not going to go from pig farms to, uh, well, I should say apartments or single-family homes to pig farms or something like that. That's not going to happen. The other thing is you can never, we can never, to a property owner, denigrate their zoning. In other words, if they see less value in the zoning that we somehow change, uh, we have to pay them for it. Uh, you, you may know that, and I only throw that out because it's a, another controlling factor. No, that's really good insight because, you know, obviously a lot of the different folks that are, are listening or may or may not know some of that. Um, so I appreciate you kind of sharing some of that depth um, on there. And, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, so we talk about a lot of the positives of the city and it's a beautiful city. I've been there several times and uh, I always remembered it being very clean. I haven't been back there in a while, but I remember as when I was younger, I was like, man, this is a very clean city. Just FYI. Um, so maybe that's the impression others get as well. Um, but I'm well, and they do, and, and we're very proud of that fact. And, and probably at this point in juncture, if you've been here, you probably do know we're a tourist community. We're an event-centered uh, uh, kind of tourism as well, you know, with big horse shows and uh, the, the Phoenix uh, Waste Management Open and uh, Barrett Jackson, a classic car and uh, a car auctions. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about entertaining 9 million people a year here in the city. Uh, we're only a city of 240,000. Uh, one event uh, actually is, one event attracts in a week three times our equivalent population. So it, it means a lot to us that we look and show well and that our businesses and our resorts and everybody else is in a good environment for it. So we we pride ourselves on a great platform to live, work, and thrive, and to recreate. Well, and I was going to ask. I mean, you know, kind of going down that road. How do you work with you know neighboring cities, uh, maybe the county, when you do have all these big events in terms of just organizing? You know, what personnel are going to be used? How they're going to be structured? How do you guys go about managing all that? Is that is that the role of the the council and your role to do that or does that get to someone else or 
you know, we we obviously work through our executive team. You know, we uh, we are a legislative body, uh, but uh, no, it's um, it's a matter. Excuse me, one second. Okay. Um, so we we more or less set policy, but we do hold our executive team accountable, as I mentioned before, as far as uh, our role with that executive team. Uh, and so we really keep a close eye on it, but I will also tell you that without a doubt, that city manager's position, and you asked earlier on, and, and because it's still the chief administrative officer, that's a critical position for us. Uh, my relationship with the current city manager is, I think, very good because he's, he's probably one of the smartest city managers that I've had the benefit of working with. Uh, here, uh, so he's, um, you know, we we are able to really, uh, I think, uh, talk through an awful lot of things, just he and I. But nevertheless, he's got great crews under him. Of course, public safety and fire and EMS, which obviously is all part of the same first responder kind of uh, activities. But also, we collaborate and, and form partnerships with our healthcare facility, our, our community, and security, other security forces. Um, when we have the open here, for example, we're over 770,000 uh, people here. Uh, it's a city unto itself every day, uh, somewhere in the area between 150 and 240,000 people uh, on the properties. Um, so it's, it's huge, but we've grown up with this, a lot of the people, and we have you know, documented how we do this. We have actually almost like what you might call field hospitals uh, out on the uh, course when there's that many people involved. Um, and so we're tending to things very closely and security is always a, an issue as well as just traffic flow and uh, any number of things uh, getting people in and about safely. Uh, so we became, we've become a training ground for others who would like to at least understand what we do. And so every time we have something, oftentimes at their own cost, they'll send some of their personnel over just more, well, to observe, but to be activated with us. And uh, so that's, it's really something the city of Scottsdale, I think has, uh, by just great staff, great police department, great fire department and EMS, all, all of it's a, a tremendous, uh, organization that really uh, puts it all together well. And of course, great leadership from a city manager who understands exactly what it takes uh, to keep that motivated and keep it uh, uh, properly attended to and holding, holding people accountable. And I mean, we're grateful that uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, hardship in trying to hold people accountable because they're, they're, great and they're, they're good at their job and they hold themselves accountable. And I think it's just a it's, a, it's a good match and it's a good mix. But do we, do we cooperate with the county? Uh, most assuredly we do. Uh, but, um, uh, and there certainly will be times that we're cooperating with even higher levels of law enforcement uh, when you talk about events of this size. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a major tactical event and, and uh, is strategically planned every time those events. 
the car auction itself is uh, somewhere in the area of five to six hundred thousand people too over about a week's time as well. Yeah, that's pretty fast. Yeah, I know the waste management open, how big that gets. I got I, I a golf background, so uh, I kind of understand the, I mean, there's a, what, a couple hundred thousand people just on hole 17, I think, alone. Um, some of the day, right? I, so, it, well, the 16th hole is the one that is, uh, in, but you may be right at this point because they just expanded 17, but the 16th hole is the, yeah, the arena well, golf. Drivable par four, you know, they have both there. So uh, par three, 16th yeah. and they're both pretty exciting but um so what do you foresee as you guys look forward um what's maybe the biggest challenge you foresee in the next few years with the city that, that you guys are trying to get ahead of well right now we're i'm hoping on a road for real success on a, a major general obligation bond for infrastructure uh, with the downturn in the economy and a few other political issues uh, we've had a tough time uh, getting a general obligation bond, if, if you're familiar with that structure. Uh, of course, this is a bond that goes to the public to vote on, and we communicate the need. And um, I personally am a big advocate of general obligation bonds because they sunset themselves once the project is built and it's bonded, the bond is paid off, it goes away, it's done. Um, and it, it has a community on the overall uh, pay from the general funds, uh, over a, a period of time, so that no one period is going to be, you know, hit with it. If you tried to fund it, you know, from general funds, you'd be trying to save money and then trying to pay for it. I, this is just general financing issues, as far as that's concerned. But I see and tell people that it is the most democratic way, uh, really, to fund your capital needs. Long-term capital needs should have long-term financing, and. Uh, that's just a more or less a rule in business too. If you're, you know, if you're debt oriented, some people fund from equity, but that's not really a play with the city government. We're not in the business of saving the taxpayers' money. Uh, we're in the business of collecting and paying out as is necessary to provide the services annually. So uh, that's that's one that we're tackling, and I think uh, are on the road to success to do that, which will take us a long way to catching up on some things that in the downturn uh, we had to defer. We, we deferred some things in the downturn. We actually had a, a cut, a small cut in salaries. We reduced staff by 14%. Uh, we did some things because we were off in our revenues by 35 to 40% over a period of time, but it built to that number. Uh, so it was a, a dramatic play that we didn't raise taxes. Um, we Trimbound, we had to be a player along with our business community, which was already on its knees, and to make sure we got it to work. And so it, and it did. Uh, but the one caveat to that is the public, they were also on their knees, weren't looking for any kind of increases in any kind of property taxes. And so uh, passing even a modest property tax, and there were some that were um, matching funds for other funds that were available for us that were highly leveraged and were would, would have been a good thing to be able to accomplish uh, that they just couldn't get an appetite for any of it for you know for a number of years so that's that's a that's a challenge and i think it's one that we're overcoming right now as we head into next uh, november's election that that'll be on the ballot so I'm curious, you know, after all this stuff you've done, right, you've been in the council and, and obviously the you know third term as mayor, 
Uh, you're also obviously a businessman, right? And you've done a lot of that for your for your you know the career. How have you managed to juggle all of these different competing priorities, right? Um, and, and you're obviously on different committees and those type of things still and task force, et cetera. Is there any time management habits you use any daily, you know, prior or um, daily routines or anything that you've learned or, or have been helpful to you? I'm just curious how you kind of structure your day. Well, uh, it's a good question. I'm not sure I have a great answer for it. Other than the fact that I've got a good scheduler, uh, we confer all the time, uh, there's a priority of things that uh, I'm engaged in. I'm, I'm no longer I'm engaged in business outside of the city hall here. But I, I sit on a, a couple of the governor's uh, commissions uh, on a state level. I sit on, uh, and frankly, uh, head up one of our major um, regional water resource uh, committees, the Arizona Municipal Water Users Association. I've been President there for a couple of years, and it's these all take time to get to, to be prepared for, of course, and, and of course to be able to to work um, those meetings. And of course, MAG, which is a Maricopa Association of Governments, I'm on the regional council. I've headed up their executive committee at different times, but they're all they're all intimately or uh, intimately involved with what happens here with the city of Scottsdale. So it's time that is well spent. It gives good representation to the city and, and decisions that are made in those uh, those organizations, and frankly, in driving policy in, in some of those organizations. Uh, there's there's several others that I have been involved with that I have had to actually back away from eventually. Uh, not too many, but a couple where it just didn't uh, didn't have the return. That I personally saw for the city, um, that it was that it was uh, that I was getting the return I was getting for the time I was spending. Let me ask you this to kind of end on: is with all your experience, I'm curious, and, and you can take this in a couple ways. I'll let you, however, whatever path you want to go down, or both. You know, if you were kind of given some advice or insight to a citizen that you know had never been involved in local government. Is there a certain piece of advice you would share with them? Um, and at the same token, and it may be similar advice to someone that has been involved a little bit, but now maybe to get involved more in council or run for mayor um, of their own local community, anything you'd share with those those different groups um, that you've learned in your, your career? Uh, yeah, I, I would say, and uh, this is a question actually that is asked uh, somewhat, somewhat frequently, I mean, uh, not every day, but nevertheless, uh, and particularly by younger people. And uh, really, I'd say my advice is always to bring something to the table. Uh, I don't care whether you're a stay-at-home parent or whether you're a farmer or anything else. If you've had to make a living, uh, work-a-day world, and you know you've been out there uh, dealing with things and budgeting for yourself, even, uh, but but. Frankly, the greater extent of background you can bring to the table, uh, I think uh, the more positive uh, not only your opportunities will be, uh, but how you'll be received in a campaign. Um, people who come and decide they're going to run because they're they're angry about one thing, one thing, and we 
you might just call them single issue candidates, generally have a rude awakening uh, when they, uh, they get involved. Now, they may have some background in other things, but if their intent is just to change one thing, uh, there's going to be more expected, and sometimes that becomes a little distressing for them and difficult, even in getting elected, um, because people are going to want a better rounding from somebody. Uh, with young people, I think having a life experience is really important. It's not that we're here telling everybody else what to do. I'm talking about in elected office. We're not. But we do set policies that do affect people's lives. And we design those policies on the basis of what we think is good for our general population. That's what we all hope to be thinking all the time. And, and so you, you need to have a sense of how this would impact you on the outside. And I mean, I'm talking simply, but you know, some of this is not as clear cut as just saying, you know, how, how would I react to this a law or this particular regulation or something? Um, so it's it's just good to have a, a good sense, and and you and you best like people. <laughs> I I think it's important to like people. That's a good place uh, to start, you know. <laughs> yeah. So Here, I, I don't know if that's what you were looking for. I'm, I'm I I tend not to try to get too detailed about that kind of thing, but nevertheless, that, that's sort of a little bit of a philosophical. Thought about no, I like that approach, and and I think it's you know, except it's it's important that you know anyone can get out there and help their community, right? It doesn't have to take any some special random person, right? It could it could be really anyone, um, as long as they're committed, to obviously helping improve. So um, I certainly appreciate that insight there. And, and I, I would add one thing to that too. Oftentimes I'll say, you know, start someplace, um, be on a task force, be on a commission, um, you know. If you're talking about mayor, be on council first. You know, uh, those are all things that build uh, a bank of knowledge. Now, that's great insight. I'm, I'm taking your advice, actually. I just put in my application for the town of Cary, where I live in North Carolina, uh, to be on a committee. So I'm excited to hopefully get chosen and, and start uh, start serving a little bit. So I, I, I think others should take that advice as well. Yeah, I think, uh, well, it, it, it is important. I mean, uh, well, it, it's, it's just important, I think, because your communities uh, deserve it. But uh, congratulations on that uh, personal decision uh, to do that. I mean, uh, to get engaged on that level. Well, Mayor Lynn, this has been but, awesome. I, I, I really appreciate you, you taking some time out and, uh, and chatting on here and, uh, and giving some really insight around the city of Scottsdale and obviously a lot of things, you know, you've learned throughout not only your business career and how that's helped in, in being the, the councilman and mayor, um, but obviously insight into the city as well and how you guys are developing and changing. So thank you so much for the time. This was, it was really awesome. Well, uh, certainly uh, I appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you too. So you're certainly welcome on the one hand and, and thank you for the opportunity as well. Hey everyone, just one more quick thing before you run along on your day. Um, please head over to iTunes, leave us a quick review, give us a rating, let us know how we're doing so we can make this podcast better each and every episode um, and really put out a good product here um, for you guys to listen in and learn a little bit more about your local communities and some of the folks that are running them. Um, we certainly appreciate you sticking in, um, listening through these and providing that feedback and hope you guys will join on the next episode. Take care and have a phenomenal day.